Hey, it's great. It's great to see all of you. Do me a favor, if you can, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. That's where we're going to be today, Romans chapter 12. Uh, my name is Chris Ward. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And I just got to say, I consider it such a privilege to be given this opportunity to address you on this New Year's Eve. Uh, I don't know if you're the type of person who likes to make New Year's resolutions. I'm not really anymore. But even if you don't like to make New Year's resolutions, there is something really special, I think, about this opportunity that we get every 365 days, every 12 months to sort of restart. You know, I think it's actually one of the mercies of God that he has given us something like the new year because it gives us an opportunity to look at things from a new perspective with a new sense of just the awareness of the possibilities that are in front of us. And that's actually sort of the attitude that I want to take towards this message today. Uh, they gave me free reign to talk on whatever I wanted to talk on, which is always dangerous. It's dangerous for you. It's also dangerous for me. And uh, as I was thinking about what exactly I want to talk about, I, I, I was praying and I really felt as though God laid a passage, God laid a message on my heart. And so that's what I want to do here today. Uh, really simple, but I just want to share with you something that I feel as though God has, has put on my heart. This past week as I was preparing for this message, I was remembering uh, actually, the second message that I ever gave in this church in the role that I'm in right now, uh, we were going through, uh, this was over five years ago now, we were going actually in a series through the book of Micah. And I used an illustration in that message that maybe a couple of you remember, and by a couple of you, I mean my parents. Uh, but the <laughs> illustration that I used was the illustration of the divided plate, the divided plate. And I have a, a picture of what I'm talking about right here. This is a divided plate, and if you can't see it, uh, this is a type of plate I know you're all familiar with. You see especially at picnic times in the summer. And it's a plate that is divided into three different compartments, three different segments. And what a divided plate allows you to do is it allows you to have three different items on your plate, a cheeseburger, baked beans, coleslaw, something like that. And the beauty of the divided plate is that you can have these three separate items and none of them will touch, none of them will overlap. And as I said in that message five years ago, this is a picture, I fear, of how some Christians end up living their Christian lives and how some Christians end up thinking about God. And what I mean by that is I think sometimes as Christians, we get in this place where we can do a really good job of relegating God, of confining God to just one portion, to just one segment of our lives. In other words, we get to a place where we only really think about God, we only seek to connect with God, we only seek to do what God wants us to do in sort of predetermined times in our life when we're doing quote-unquote religious things like going to church, like being in a life group, something like that. And ultimately what ends up happening is we, we ultimately end up giving God only a portion of our lives. And as I made clear five years ago, and as I want to make clear again here this morning, that's just simply not what God wants from us. The Bible makes it clear that God doesn't want just a piece of us, brothers and sisters. God doesn't want just a portion of us. God wants all of us. He wants our whole lives. And that's what's made clear by this first verse in, in Romans chapter 12 that I brought you to. You know, if you've never spent time in the book of Romans, the book of Romans is just a remarkable book in our Bible. And it was originally a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the first century city of Rome. And if you've ever read through the book of Romans, you know that the book of Romans can be divided very neatly into two segments. And the first segment is the whole first 11 chapters of Romans. And the whole first 11 chapters of Romans, it reads at times almost like a theological textbook. It, it reads almost like a theological term paper. 
Because for the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul really focuses on kind of the theology of God's grace, the theology of God's mercy. Some of you may remember we were in a message a few weeks ago in Romans chapter 3, and it was a very theological sort of passage. And basically for 11 chapters, what Paul talks about is he talks about the theology of the grace of God, the fact that we are saved not based on what we do as Christians, we are saved solely because of God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so the first 11 chapters are just kind of the theology of God's grace. Well, when you get to chapter 12 of Romans, through the rest of the book of Romans, all of that changes. Because starting in chapter 12 of Romans, what Paul does is he gives us the so what of the first 11 chapters. In other words, in light of the fact that we are saved based on God's grace, so what does that mean for how we live? What does that mean for how we go about our lives on a daily basis? And the first sentence of Romans chapter 12, the first verse of Romans chapter 12, serves almost as like the thesis statement, the topic sentence, for the whole rest of the book of Romans. And what Paul tells us in the first verse of Romans 12 is that in light of God's grace, in light of God's mercy, what God wants from us is he wants all of us. He doesn't want just a piece of our lives. He doesn't just want a portion of our lives. He wants our whole life. Look with me at Romans 12.1 and you'll see why I say that. Romans 12.1, Paul writes the following. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, so in view of God's grace, in view of what I've just talked about for the past 11 chapters, he says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And the key phrase for me is that phrase right in the middle of that verse where Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Paul says that God wants us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. And the image that Paul is using here is an image that's actually taken from his own Jewish upbringing. In the Jewish faith in the first century, when something really good happened to you and you were blessed by God in some way and you wanted to credit God for it, you wanted to thank God for it, what you would do is you would offer God an animal sacrifice. You would go out into your fields, you'd find the best calf that you owned, you'd find the best sheep that you owned, the one that you could sell for the most amount of money, and rather than sell it, you would sacrifice it on an altar to God. You would kill it for God, and that was your way of saying, God, in response to what you have given me, I want to give you the best thing that I have. Well, what Paul has made clear throughout the book of Romans is that this gift of salvation, this gift of eternal life that God has given us is an incredible gift. And so therefore, we should respond accordingly to this gift. And, and so what is it that, that God wants from us? How should we respond? Well, we should give God a sacrifice. But as Paul makes clear here, God doesn't want an animal sacrifice anymore. But what kind of sacrifice does God want? Well, really what Paul says in verse 1 is God wants a human sacrifice. He wants us to sacrifice ourselves. So does that mean God wants us to, to go to an altar and kill ourselves? No, because what type of sacrifice does it say that, that God wants here? It says that God wants a living sacrifice. He wants a living sacrifice. God doesn't want us to kill ourselves for him. He wants us to live for him. And this is just a really fancy way of saying what I already said, that God doesn't want just a, a piece of our lives. He doesn't want just a portion of our lives. God wants all of us. He wants us to live our whole lives for him. So what does it look like to live your whole life for God? Well, it doesn't mean that God wants all of us to become pastors. It doesn't mean that God wants all of us to travel to a foreign country to be a missionary. Absolutely not. All that it means is that in every area of our life, God wants us to acknowledge him. 
and he wants us to seek to do what he says. In every area of our life, God wants us to acknowledge him, and he wants us to seek to do what he says. To, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, to live your whole life for God, for example, means that when you do something as simple as sit down to eat a meal, that the first thing that you do is you pray and you thank God for that food. Because you recognize that it's God who is giving you that meal in the first place. To give your whole life to God at work means that as you, as you step through the front doors of your office, that the first thing that you do is you pause and you thank God for your job because you recognize that it's God who has enabled you to work in the first place. And then as you go about your job, you, you seek to do it in the way that God would want you to do it. You work hard. You respect your coworkers. You respect your boss. You respect your customers. You, you never lie, cheat, steal, or deceive them. Instead, you, you're always honest. You're always forthright. To give God your whole life at home means that when you get home, you, you treat those relationships at home, your husband, your wife, your parents, your grandparents, your brothers, your sisters, your children, your grandchildren. You treat those people with, with love and compassion and respect. And so on. That's what it looks like to give God your whole life. That's what it looks like to live your life as a living sacrifice. In every area of your life, you acknowledge God and you seek to do what he wants you to do. And in light of this salvation that God has given us, that's what God wants from us. That's what God wants for us. But what I want to make clear here today, and this is where I really felt called to, to speak on, is that actually living this sort of life, Actually giving our whole lives over to God like this, it's not easy. It's hard work to do this. And one of the reasons why it is hard is because the Bible makes it clear that we have an enemy in this life who doesn't want us to do this. We have an enemy in this life, his name is Satan, and Satan doesn't want us to live our whole lives for him. In fact, Satan actually wants us to forget about God altogether. And this is Satan's will for you in this coming year. This is Satan's will for you in 2018. You know, we talk a lot in the church about God's will for your life and God's plan for your life. And I absolutely believe that God has a will. I absolutely believe that God has a plan for you in 2018. But as strongly as I believe that, I also believe that Satan has a plan for you in this coming year. Satan has a will for your life. And I see Satan's will expressed in the first part of verse 11. Of Romans 12. Jump down with me there. First five words of Romans 12, 11, Paul writes the following. He says, never be lacking in zeal. He says, never be lacking in zeal. The Greek word translated zeal is a word that means something like commitment or diligence or devotion. Uh, commitment, diligence, or devotion. In the context of Romans 1, the zeal that Paul is talking about, it's clear, is zeal towards God. Zeal in our relationship with God. And what Paul says here is that we can be lacking in that zeal. We can be lacking in that commitment. Actually, the Greek word translated lacking is a word that means to be lazy. And Paul is saying that every one of us, we face a danger in our relationship with God in this room. And the danger is that we can become lazy in our commitment to God. We can become lazy in our devotion to God. And in fact, we can become so lazy that we end up forgetting about God altogether. I've shared this story with you before, but probably my favorite hymn of all time is the famous hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I love that hymn. And that hymn was written by a, a young man by the name of Robert Robinson, and he was really young when he wrote it. He was 22 years old. He was a pastor. 
And the story goes that as Robert got older, he, he actually started to, to begin, become lazy in his relationship with God. He actually started to sort of leave God altogether, turn his back on God. And there's a famous story that is told in these later years when he had turned his back on God. He was in a carriage. This is in the days of horse and buggy. He was in a carriage and he was traveling to some destination and there was a, another passenger in the carriage, a woman. Robert didn't know the woman. The woman didn't know him. They just happened to be headed to the same place. And uh, along this, this carriage ride, th this woman was actually reading a hymn, Noah's people would do back then. And she was actually reading, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. She was reading the hymn that Robert had written years earlier. And not knowing that she was sitting across from the author of that hymn, we're told that as she finished reading it, she, she handed the hymnal to Robert. And she said to Robert, she said, I absolutely love this hymn, and you need to read it because I know you will love it too. And so Robert looked at this hymn that he had written years earlier, realized that it was his, and the story goes that he handed the hymnal back to the woman, and as he did, he said to the woman, he said, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy soul that wrote that hymn several years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to have the feel same feelings now that I had back then. I'm the poor, unhappy soul that wrote that hymn, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to have the same feelings now that I had back then. And if that story is indeed true, it makes one of the stanzas of Come Thou Fount a little bit eerie and a little bit prophetic. Because decades earlier, Robert had written the following. He had written, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And all of us, all of us, I believe, have that propensity within us. We all have this danger of, of wandering away from God, of, of leaving God, of turning our back on Him, of becoming lazy in our relationship with God. And you need to understand, men and women, it usually doesn't happen all at once. In fact, in my years as a pastor, I don't think I've ever encountered someone who has turned their back on God just in one singular moment. I know it happens, but I've never encountered that. No, when people end up wandering from God, when people end up leaving God, it, it usually happens a little bit at a time. It happens one step, one decision at a time. You know, when you first get your job, you, you, you do thank God for it because you are so grateful for it. But over time, the monotony begins to set in, the frustration begins to set in, and you find yourself thanking God less for your job. You find yourself thinking about God less in your job. You know, when you first get married, especially as you get married as a, as a young Christian couple, there is this desire to really honor God in your marriage. I find a lot of the young couples I deal with, that when they first get married, they really do want to honor their spouse in the way that God calls them to. But over time, those fights set in, those disagreements set in, and, and you find it's a lot easier to honor yourself than it is to honor your spouse, than it is to honor God. When you first become a Christian, there is this desire that, that you want to know as much as possible. You, you want to you grow as close as possible to God. And so one of the ways that shows itself that every single weekend you're in church because you want to learn more about God. But over time, you begin to kind of get to a place where you've, you've heard it all before. You've experienced it all before. And then one week rolls around where you have a particularly busy week. And you say to your spouse on Saturday night, you say, hey, let's, let's just sleep in tomorrow, right? Let's, 
Let's not go to church. Chris is teaching anyway, so let's just sleep in tomorrow and let's just stay home. And you do that. And you find out what the rest of the world has found out. That's kind of nice not to go to church on Sundays sometimes, right? No place you have to be, nothing you have to get ready for. Judging by the number of people who come to our Christmas Eve services and the number of people who come to our church on a regular basis, a lot of people have found that out. The reason they don't let me teach on Christmas Eve anymore is because I told them the next time I teach on Christmas Eve, I'm going to give a message entitled, The Importance of Coming to Church Every Single Weekend. <laughs> the Virtue of Coming to Church Every Weekend. I don't think that would go over very well, but it's a needed message. But you get my point in all of this. It's actually really easy to lack in our zeal for God. And Satan would love nothing less than that. In fact, I really believe that Satan would be perfectly content if 2018 was the happiest year you have ever had, if it was filled with health, wealth, and prosperity, if it was the most fulfilled year you had ever had, just as long as you begin being lazy in your relationship with God, just as long as you begin taking steps away from God. And that's why we can't let him win. And that's what Paul says as we continue on in verse 11. Right after telling us never to lack in zeal, he says the following. He says, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Literally, that phrase reads, in the spirit be fervent. And there's a little bit of debate as to whether or not Paul is referring to the human spirit there or the Holy Spirit there. I think Paul is referring to the Holy Spirit. And I think what Paul is saying here is he's saying that we need to open ourselves up to the Spirit's work in our lives. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us, doesn't want us to become lazy in our relationship with God. He wants us to give our whole lives over to God. So we need to live this life where we constantly open ourselves up to the Spirit's work within us. And as we open ourselves up to the Spirit's work within us, what follows? Paul tells us, he says, fervor follows. We become fervent. In our relationship with God. The Greek word translated fervent there is a word that gives us a very rich imagery. It's actually the same word that was used for when water would boil on the stove. So get that image in your mind, okay? A pot of boiling water. When you know that when, when water comes to a rapid boil, it's excited, right? It's, it's energetic. That's how God wants us to feel about him. He, he wants us to be excited about him. He wants us to be energetic in our relationship with him. This is the image of being set on fire for God. That's what God wants for each and every one of us. I remember when I first met Tanya, my spouse. You know, the first few months that we were together, man, man Tanya was all I could think about. And, and I would wake up in the morning and I couldn't wait to see her. And we would have these days where we would spend the entire day together. We would go on a date that lasted the, the entire day and, and, and into the evening. And then finally at night, I, I would drive home. And even though I had just spent the entire day with her, I would call up Tanya on the drive home. And we would talk for two more hours late into the night. I, I just had this passion. I wanted to get to know my wife, my spouse now, not then, my spouse better. That's how God wants us to feel about him. He wants us to have this excitement and this passion and this opportunity that we have to get to know him. And men and women, this is God's will for you in 2018. This is God's plan for you in this coming year. So how do we do that? 
How do we open ourselves up to the Spirit's work within us? How do we get excited about God? How do we get energetic about this opportunity to give our lives over to God? Well, in just a second, I'm going to tell you, because I think as you continue on in, in this passage, Paul gives us some keys to do that. But before I do that, I want to point out one word in verse 11, and that is the word your right in the smack dab middle of that verse. Paul says there, he says, keep your spiritual fervor. He says, keep your spiritual fervor. And you know what that word your tells me? It tells me that it's not my responsibility, brothers and sisters, to keep you excited about God. It's not my responsibility to keep you going in your spiritual life. That every single one of us in this room, we need to take responsibility for our spiritual lives ourselves. And the reason I share that with you is because one of the biggest fears that I have as a pastor is that you all who come here regularly, that you are depending upon me or you are depending upon Matthew to keep you going spiritually. And I want to let you know, if you're doing that, that's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. We all need to take responsibility for our spiritual lives ourselves. You know, once a week, my, my, wife, my family and I, we have a little bit of a, just a little tradition. Uh, we love, love, love to eat out. And if we could, we'd do it probably every night, but we can't afford that. So one night a week, Sunday night, we go out to a restaurant, okay? And I'm talking about a legitimate restaurant, not McDonald's, though you know I love that, but a legitimate sit-down restaurant. And I'll tell you what, when, when I go to this restaurant, I have high, but I think reasonable expectations for this restaurant. And the reason why is because I, I expect that I'm going to get a better meal at this restaurant than I could get at home. And that's because, you know, the, the people who, who, who design the menu, the people who cook my food, this is what they do for a living. This is what they get paid to do. This is what some of them went to school for. This is what they do every single day. And so I expect at that restaurant, I'm going to get a better meal than I can at home. And most of the time, my expectations are met. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes that my, that's my fault. I order something I wasn't in the mood for. Sometimes that is the fault of the chef. Maybe they had a bad day and they don't prepare my meal the way that I'd like it. But most of the time, that happens. But you know what? Even though I get a better meal at a restaurant than I could get at home, I do not expect that meal that I get on Sunday night to sustain me the rest of the week. I don't expect that to feed me the rest of the week. If I did, I would probably die, right? Although I know that I may not be able to prepare as good of a meal at home, I still know the importance of eating at home every single day. Now, that's not the perfect analogy, but it's the best analogy that I could think of to think of our times together. Uh, I know that when many of you come into this place, you have high expectations for our time together. And you know what? I think you should. Matthew and myself and David and Aaron, I mean, this is what we do for a living. This is what we get paid to do. This is what we, we went to school for. And, and it is part of our responsibility as pastors, I believe, to create an atmosphere where we are all able to connect with God in a way that we couldn't on our own at home. I think that's one of the reasons that God has given us the church. But you know what? Even if those expectations are met, even if you leave with a spiritual high on a Sunday, you can't expect that to sustain you the rest of the week. You have to take responsibility to, to, to prepare your own meals, to connect with God on your own. So how do you do that? 
How do you open yourselves up to the Spirit? How do you prepare a meal at home? How do you get excited and energetic about God? Well, as I said, I think as we continue on in this passage, Paul gives us a few keys. The first one is at the end of verse 12 when Paul talks about serving the Lord. He says, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So the first key to becoming excited about God, to open ourselves up to the Spirit's work within us, is to serve God. And I don't think I need to talk a lot about this because we had a whole message on this a few weeks ago when we talked about opening doors for people. But if you want to get excited about God, one of the ways to do that is to serve God. And we serve God by serving other people. And maybe 2018 is a year where you really begin to take that seriously. And you do it in informal ways. You do it at home. You do it in, in, in the coffee shop, whatever. And you, maybe you do it in formal ways. We're always in need, always in need of volunteers in ministries at this church. And I will say from interacting with a lot of people at this church, the ones who are the most on fire for God are those who are volunteering in our various ministries. And maybe 2018 is the year where, where you take a, a little bit of a risk, but you take a step out and you begin to do that. But that's the first key. Paul says we need to serve God. Second thing he says is at the beginning of verse 12 when he tells us to be joyful in hope and patient in affliction. Be joyful in hope and patient in affliction. And what's Paul talking about here? He's talking about our attitude, isn't he? And let me be very blunt with you, okay? There's no way to be excited about God if you have a bad attitude. There's no way to be energetic about God if your attitude is constantly tied to your circumstances. What Paul is saying here is no matter what we're going through, there is always reason for joy. Because we have this hope of salvation. We have this hope of eternal life. And so we can go through difficult circumstances and we can be patient in the midst of them because we know they're temporary. We know that they're not going to last. If we want to be excited about God, honestly, one of the things that we need to work on is we need to work on our attitude. And maybe 2018 is a year where we decide we're going to choose joy. We're going to choose patience. So we serve, we, we work on our attitude. Third thing Paul says is at the end of verse 12, when he says, be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. The Greek word translated faithful is a word that means to persist and to hold fast to. And it's actually a word that Paul uses a lot in regards to prayer. You will see him a lot say, be faithful in prayer, persist in prayer, hold fast to prayer. And I think one of the reasons why Paul makes, uh, uses that word with prayer a lot is because Paul knows that prayer is one of the easiest things to get lazy in. And I think the reason why prayer is so easy to get lazy in is because it's one of the areas that Satan's attacks the most. Satan knows that the men and women who have been most used by God over the years have been men and women of prayer. And so he doesn't want us to pray. And so he whispers in our ear these lies that say prayer is useless. Prayer doesn't accomplish things. Think of all the things that you've prayed for that haven't been answered. Why would you waste your time doing that? And we can't let him win. We can't let him speak those lies. And so maybe this is the year where you get serious about prayer. And you find 10 minutes, 15 minutes where you set aside in your day and you do nothing but just pray to God. I, I can't tell you how much that will do for you. There, there are seldom times when I leave a time of prayer feeling worse than when I entered it. I almost always feel better. Because prayer grounds us and centers us and reminds us of what is important. And as a church, just so you know, we're going to get serious about prayer in 2018. The first sermon series that we're going to do in this new year, we'll begin it in a couple of weeks, 
is a series all on prayer. We're going to spend actually six weeks looking through the Lord's Prayer in the book of Matthew. That's the famous Our Father who art in heaven prayer. And we're going to look at that prayer line by line. We're basically going to spend six weeks and five verses in our Bible. But we're going to see how to pray according to Jesus. And we're going to have a challenge that comes out of that in regards to prayer. And maybe you'll want to take us up on that. So we serve. We check our attitude. We pray. There's a fourth thing I want to share with you. Paul actually doesn't mention it, but, but I think it's important. And, and that is that, that we get serious about this book. We get serious about God's word. I'll tell you what, there is nothing, and I say nothing, that has made me more excited for God in my life than when I started to get serious about reading this book and studying this book. Because it's in this book that we learn about God, Right? It's in this book that we, we, we find out who he is and what he's like. And it's in this book that we find out what it is that he, he wants us to do, how he wants us to live. And so we need to get serious about digging into this book. And in 2018, we're going to help you as a church. I've already run this by the boss, and he's okay with it. And by the boss, I mean Matthew, not God, though I think God's okay with it too. But in February of this year, right, probably after Valentine's Day, we're still, work, still working on the exact date, but we're going to teach a, a four or five week class at this church about how to read our Bibles. And we're going to meet one night during the week. We don't know exactly yet, but we'll get details to you soon. And, and we're going to give you some tools on how to read scripture, how to, how to prepare a meal in the middle of the week. And anybody who wants to can join. And so I hope many of you do that. But we need to serve. We need to check our attitude. We need to pray. We need to get serious about God's word. This is how we open ourselves up to the spirit. And understand, these things, they're not ends in and of themselves, right? They're means to an end. We don't pray for the sake of praying. We don't read God's word for the sake of reading God's word. We do these things to live out Romans 12.1, to give our lives over to God, to be set on fire for God. And this is the best thing that you can do in 2018. I have no problem with many of the resolutions that people make at the beginning of a year, but you know what? The best thing that we can do is not work on our, on our physical fitness. The best thing that we can do is work on our spiritual fitness. This is the best thing that we can do in this coming year. As I was working on this message, I was reminded of um, a woman by the name of Amy Carmichael. And Amy Carmichael, in case you don't know, was kind of a giant of the 20th century. She was a missionary to India. She spent 55 years in India. And she was really the forerunner of what it is that we're doing in India today. She, she had established an orphanage there, and she would, she would rescue young girls from the temple prostitution. And she would raise them in her orphanage and, and, and teach them about Jesus. And talk about a woman who, who lived out Romans 12. Talk about a woman who was set on fire for God. And near the end of her life, Amy wrote a poem that the first time I heard it just immediately stood out to me. And I think God brought it to mind because it encapsulates what we're talking about here today. This is what Amy wrote. She said, from prayer that asks that I may be sheltered from winds that beat on me, from fearing when I should aspire, from faltering when I should climb higher, from silken self, O captain free, thy soldier who would follow thee. From subtle love of softening things, from easy choices, weakenings, not thus uh, the, our spirits fortified, not this way went the crucified. From all that dims thy Calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. 
Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that shall burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. I love that last stanza. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the the passion that shall burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. Those are the two choices in front of us in 2018. We can sink to be a clod or we can be fuel for the flame of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a clod in this coming year. I want to be set on fire for Jesus Christ. And maybe some of you want to join me. Can you imagine what it would be like Can you imagine what it would be like if just 10% of us in this room took seriously this call in Romans chapter 12? 2,000 years ago, God used 12 people to change the world. Can you imagine what God could do with 10 times that amount? There's no telling what God can do. And that's my prayer for us as a church in 2018. That's my prayer for every single one of us. And in fact, as we close, that's exactly what I want to pray over us. So would you do me a favor? Would you stand with me right now? And as we pray, if you're comfortable, could you just have your hands out in front of you like this, which is just a posture of receiving whatever God would have for us in this coming year. And would you bow your heads with me as I pray? Father God, when you tell us to follow you, God, you, you call us to die. You do. You don't call us to die physically necessarily, God. But you call us to die to our desires and our hopes and our passions. But God, that is the best thing that we can do. Because when we die to that and when we die to that old life, God, you you give us a new set of desires and you give us a new set of passions and that they they are ones that are informed by your Holy Spirit, God. And they are ones that ultimately serve your kingdom. Father, I get the sense that there are some people here today, Lord, that are very clearly faced with this decision in front of them. Are they going to live for themselves in 2018? Are they going to seek to be a living sacrifice for you? Are they going to seek their own interests, their own desires, their own dreams? Or God, are they going to lay those aside and seek the ones that you would put on their heart? And Father, I pray that there would be many people today who would say yes to you. Yes in a brand new way, God. Maybe they've already said yes to you in salvation, but Father, they're going to get really serious, Lord, about living for you. And God, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about what you can do in our church with just a few people who decide that they are fully committed to you. God, I pray, Lord, that 2018 is an incredible year for our church, God. And and it's not an incredible year because from the outside, we may look like we have it all going on. But God, it's an incredible year because in the hearts of our people here, Lord, there are people who are on fire and sold out for you, Father. And that we begin to see you do amazing things in your kingdom in and through these people. And so, Father, we can't thank you enough for this opportunity that is in front of us, Lord. 
And we ask that we would, we would honor you each and every step of the way. We would acknowledge you and seek to do what you say each and every day, Father. And God, that you would, uh, you would just show us your love, your glory, your compassion, your greatness, your bigness through it all, God. We, we love you so much, Father. We thank you so much for what you have given us. We don't deserve it. And so we thank you for it, God. And we ask all this in your son's name. And everyone said, amen.